Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, a show where a father and son sit down and talk about fantasy. I'm the son, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. And it is fantastic to have you here with us today for a very special episode. That it is. This is episode number 20 of our podcast. Woohoo! Yeah. And we are going today to finish The Eye of the World. Book Ooh, one finally. of the time. Yeah. I mean, I guess truthfully, it hasn't been that long. Just these 20 episodes here. Yeah. I mean, we started back in December. Here we are, mid-March, and we've made it. That's a lot of chapters to cover. We've covered 51 chapters and a prologue so far. Two last chapters to cover today. Only 13 to 14 more books to go. That's all. We are ready to have some fun talking about all of this. And, you know, I want to just jump in a little bit to, you know, what we've done so far versus what we expected necessarily. Okay. We've got 19 episodes out there published already. Yeah, there are over 2,600 listens and downloads of those 19 episodes. That blows me away. Yeah, just a little hobby, us chatting about a series we enjoy, and then throwing in some occasional episodes of other kinds of fantasy content. You know, I 100% expected we'd have about uh, five people, four of which were somehow related to us, listen for the first at least year. So we're way ahead of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Something we do really enjoy that's been a part of this is hearing from our listeners. Mm -hmm. For example, we've got Scott, our most faithful YouTube follower, who responds every time he listens to an episode. I mean, I know exactly when he's listening because he <laughs> will live text at points through the episode with his thoughts and responses. Live commenting. There you go. Live commenting. How is that different from texting? Well, usually... I mean, that's what you call it on YouTube. It's a comment. Well, live texting would be through SMS messaging or iMessage if you happen to have an Apple device. Uh, it's text, as opposed to live tweeting, which is putting it out on Twitter. Live commenting, which would be to comment directly on it. It's not really that big a difference. It's just who gets to see it. I should and where use is it? the right terminology. We've also got another fan who's interacted is uh, Jen out mm. at the Talk Around Riyadh podcast. She's commented on, she enjoys our ongoing debates on how to pronounce different things in this show. Tarvel. Don't you mean Tarvalon? Nope. Not, I'm pretty sure not even for a Tarvalon. slightest yeah. bit. She also recently commented on enjoying the colorful cocktails that I've been posting to Instagram, the ones that I drink here. Oh, yeah. Mine are much less colorful. Mine is brown right now. Yeah, you're doing coffee again, man. Well, it is at you least put, spiked. You, you spiced it with something? Yeah, it's spiked. All right. Well, I went ahead and created a rock spider today. Because is that like a rock lobster? No, no, no. No? Not like rock the song? Rock spider, lobster and spi- what? There's a song, Rock Lobster. I have never heard of that song. Oh, uh, well, I'll have to play it for you later. Do I want to hear it? I mean, it's fine. It's kind of campy and ridiculous. Okay. It's not like Baby Shark? No, it's closer to like the stuff you like from the 80s. That is, some of it's great. Others, no one's ever heard of, and there's a reason. Because <laughs> you're a baby. <laughs> I guess comparatively. <laughs> hey, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Good to have you here. Nice to see you, or rather, I guess, here. No, it would be C, would it not? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see his text. So, you know, I picked the rock spider today because yes. it's, again, another very colorful cocktail because I got to keep yeah. Jen happy there. It's a nice blue-green. It's I'm already sure posted on our Instagram. You already have it posted. Already. Okay. So if anybody wants to make one for themselves while they listen along here today or something, fantastic. It happens to feature blue curacao, gin, Malibu rum, and pineapple juice. It's pretty simple. That sounds like something you really like. Yeah, it's nice and tasty. How are you doing, Zach? 
You know, I'm doing okay. I just got back from visiting some friends in Boise. There was a little bit of a drive, but nothing too bad. Got to see snow coming down as I went through the mountains. It was a little more like hail and visibility for the drive wasn't as good, but it was, it was fun. It was an experience. What about you? I'm doing fine. I'm enjoying the fact that all of us are halfway vaccinated. Yeah. Yeah. We've got the rest of our dosage coming up this coming I'll be finished up on Easter. Yeah. I think I'm the last one to get the second dose. I've got it just a couple days before that. So yay. Partly vaccinated is better than not at all vaccinated. It's something at least. But it'll be good to be finished with that. Exactly. So that's that's my big news. Otherwise, just sitting around, working, doing my thing. Hmm. Oh, I guess I do have one other thing kind of fantasy related. All right. I've been working my way through Mistborn. I finished this week The Well of Ascension and I'm on to Hero of Ages. Mm-hmm. So maybe we'll get around to doing something with Mistborn pretty soon when I finish that one. We might. That does remind me of a win this morning. I got your mother to accept all three of the Mistborn books. She's got them on her device now, loaded and ready to read. We'll see if she actually starts reading them, but <laughs> she said she might. All right. With our introductory stuff out of the way, it's time to get to our featured content, I think. Yes, let's do it. What we're about again today is reviewing the last two chapters of The Eye of the World, Mm -hmm. then wrapping up with discussion on the book as a whole, as well as some thoughts about the rest of the series to come. As usual, there may be some spoilers in what we share, but we'll keep it spoiler light. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be fair to myself, as this is the last episode and we cover the book in and of itself... There may be times where I go a little bit over that light, and hopefully my dad keeps me honest here. <laughs> yeah, don't go too far over the line. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. Some try of our not listeners to. have not read the whole series, remember? Which is totally okay. That's right. We ended chapter fifty-one with a whole bunch of question marks. Mm-hmm. Rand's perspective had faded to black after his confrontation with the Alzaman, and we had no idea if anybody was alive. No, including no. Rand. The last we heard of Moraine, her screams of pain in the background had ominously faded away, mm-hmm. and we last saw Lan and Nynaeve as crumpled bodies where they'd been flung by the Forsaken. Sounds about right. Loyal Perrin, Matt, and Egwene had scattered to parts unknown. Run. Yeah, trying to get away from Agonor. We, we don't do, know if they succeeded or what. We do at least know that both the Forsaken there, Bethalmal and Agonor, they gone. We don't know that yet with Agonor. Did we not? No. Did we not see him literally? No. We saw stuff happening to him when Rand was away, but we didn't see a final. Oh. See, in my opinion, you see someone start bursting into We saw flames, flames coming out of his eyes and mouth, but we it didn't doesn't, see a final. It doesn't look good. It's it, to me, that said he was dead. He might come back. It's it just got, a flesh wound. It got better. <laughs> exactly. So chapter 52 is going to pick up the pieces and show us what we've got. It's title, There is Neither Beginning Nor End. So Rand awakens from this fade to black back on the hilltop where he had originally used the one power to flee from Agonor. He aches from head to toe and his brain is pretty scrambled. Yep. Like and- an egg. Honestly, he's not really sure where he is. Practically doesn't know who he is at first. That's fair. Before him, much to Zachary's pleasure, he sees a pile of ash and some green fabric mostly burned. That's all that's left of Agonor. That's right. We were right when we assumed bursting into flames is bad. Another one bites the dust. Like I said, don't make fires. Fires are bad. (laughs) They get found. They kill people. It's just all around bad. As Rand's mental fog continues to clear, 
he realizes, I defeated Baalzaman. Yeah. The Dark One is dead, he whispers I killed to him. himself. Now, seeing the Dark One is just like in Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, where he who must not be named is what they say instead of Voldemort. Which in Harry Potter makes sense because the name Voldemort has like a curse on it in a way. I think it's technically a jinx that it allows you to technically be magically found and scried upon if you say the name. And they have the same concept here. They say the Dark One because he actually has a name, but you don't say his name because it will bring his eyes upon you. But Rand's like, hey, he's dead. I can say it. Shaitan is dead! And then the book says, The world seemed to lurch. Hmm. That was a gross noise. What might a reader think about that, Zach? Well, we got one of two things. Either A, Rand's very wrong. <laughs> Shaitan is not dead. Or... Oh, you said the name. Dude, eh. the room is lurching. Eh, let the room lurch. Because B, the other option, he is dead, and that's bad. And this kind of goes to my thought process of needing to be a balance of good and evil. You kill all the evil, there's an empty void of something. That's bad. Man, I... Nah. If you destroy all the godlike figure that controls darkness, maybe that's bad. Maybe. I mean, it's a possible conclusion a reader could come to that Rand kills the Dark One, and that's not where problems stop. Well, I want to point out here that when I see him say Shaitan is dead and the world lurches a bit, that means there's still something going on there. And I think we've got a case here of unreliable narrator again. I, I don't disagree with you. Yeah. I think you're definitely on the right track of what is likely happening. But let's go jumping to a different book a little bit to see an impact of what happens when an evil force disappears the Lord of the Rings. The movie has a really interesting depiction of this, and I think does a really good job showing it as Ring Destroyed, Sauron Gone. Sorry if you haven't read The Lord of the Rings or seen the movies. You're probably out of pop culture a little bit. Oh yeah, and, and the Titanic sinks while we're just ruining everything, you know. The ground then begins to shatter and quake and swallow up the evil armies. The world itself is lurching at something bad. So again, while I think you're right, it's not inconceivable. But let me get back to where I'm really going with Unreliable. He's saying he killed Baalzaman. Did we see him kill Baalzaman? Not necessarily. Now, perhaps as much as we saw him kill Agenor, and you were sure... Oh yeah, he's dead. Agenor's dead. But we didn't actually see Baalzaman as a pile of ash on the ground. He was being consumed by the flames of the power that Rand did at him when, when Rand ran out of power, and then fell away and fade to black. So we don't know that he killed him, but Rand seems pretty sure. Mm -hmm. Rand, at this point, heads down the hill that he's up. The wires are starting to uncross, and he's realizing Egwene. Something about an Egwene. Wait a second. Egwene's a girl. I care about her. I, yeah, I, I gotta go find out what's up with Egwene. He's still not quite sure who Egwene is, but someone who's important to him. She's important, and she's the she. Let's go find her makes it down back to the clearing where the Eye of the World was. Mm -hmm. and Wait, you say was? Where he knew it was before. I mean, it's where it is. Is it not? Maybe. Let's find out. He sees in this clearing three women. He recognizes one of them. That's Egwene. And then uh, the fuzz starts to clear a little more, and he recognizes the other two as well. And that's good because well it's less scary when you recognize people but they recognize him right away and and they see him standing there looking all fuzzy 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it's obvious he's confused and like, Rand, are you okay? I mean, it's kind of a very clear-cut case of concussion symptoms. Yeah, that's pretty good. So this is Egwene, Nynaeve, and Moraine. Moraine is laid out on the grass. She looks pretty beat up. It's not good. Her, her dress is a mess. You know, she's clearly <laughs> been shaken up quite well. Egwene and Nynaeve are taking care of her. Egwene's unharmed. There's nothing wrong with her. Good job, Brand. You threw a rock and it worked. Yeah, she was able to get away. Nynaeve, just a bit bruised. So the, the flingingness. It's probably mostly bruising around like the throat and jaw where she got grabbed. Yeah, but she is more or less okay. It's Moraine they're all worried about, but she's like, really, I, I'm not that bad. It's my pride that's hurt the most, that I wasn't able to take out Agenor when I tried to surprise him. Then again, he was a Forsaken, and legends say he was one of the strongest back in his day. So, you know, it's not so bad I couldn't take him out. I just kind of hoped I was going to. She notes that as she's been thinking about this now, mm-hmm. Agenor and Balthamal must have been trapped near the surface of the binding in Sheogul. Oh, absolutely. And they got out because the seals are weakening. Yes, and it's a clear sign that that's happening. It's progressing further. It's not just, oh, it's kind of weak and it's still there. But no, they are starting to weaken more. And some of that prison is starting to wear away. But since they haven't seen any other Forsaken, the rest of them must still be locked away. It's probably a fairly safe assumption, but you could still be wrong. Now, Rand tries to point out, none of that matters. Since I killed Shy, and Moraine's like, stop. We will not say that name. It's a bad name to say. Don't do say it. Say the Dark One. Just the Dark One, not his true name. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I kill them. That's what Rand feels like. But then it hits powerfully home, kind of for Rand and for them at the same time. Okay, he killed them? He, he, he killed the Dark One? He used the One Power. Well, shit. <laughs> you got your quote up for this episode. It's going to slip that in somewhere. I mean, it's accurate uh, okay. for both the woman and for Rand. Well, he realizes, they realize, he's doomed. He's going to go mad. He's going to hurt people. He's going to die eventually. This is not good. And that's what happens to male channelers. Moraine insists on hearing the whole story of what Rand experienced. After he's done telling everything we heard about in our last episode, she makes a few seemingly simple statements. Mm-hmm. Keep note of these, as while we may say that they're simple here, she's subtly implying that it's not quite what she's originally saying here. She had suspected Rand could channel, she acknowledges. Going all the way back to when he resisted the bond, she made with him through the coin, that token she gave him and the other boys at Emmons Field. That bond should have made him compliant to following her lead, but he still resisted in questions. So right there, she's like, mm-hmm. I think he can he, he can channel. Zach, I want to ask you, what do you think was really going on with that token then? I know we talked about it back okay. at the time, but let's dig into it just a little deeper. Was she using the one power to compel him to do her bidding? One, probably at least to an extent. Two, has Moraine ever heard of consent? I'm just saying, it's a little not cool when you start forcing your will on people, even if in a minor capacity, without their consent. It's a thing. Don't do it. But Moraine has time and time again shown that she has a purpose in mind. She has a greater good, if you will. 
And she straight up told the boys she'd kill them before she let them fall to evil. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's at all out of the question to say she's willing to mind control to make sure that good happens. I do think she's good, or at least she seems to believe herself good. But that's a questionable thing to do in my book. Ah, yes. Yes, I think there could be some morality here. And I think perhaps this kind of strikes home for Rand to hear firsthand that she basically had done something that she intended to make it easier to control him. And let's just go back to the dreams we've been hearing. Baalzaman saying, the Aes Sedai will use you, make you their puppet, and he's being told, that's what I tried to do. Evidence! Yeah, yeah, that, that doesn't align very nicely. It's Rand's a mind. great way to build trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Also then, on their flight out of the two rivers, she says when the horse, Bella, wasn't tired, she suspected at that point that Rand had used Sidene without realizing it because he was just so worried Egwene and Bella would fall behind that he probably channeled right there nah. to make sure Bella had all the energy that was needed. I firmly believe Bella's just amazing. She's great. Bella is a channeler. She... <laughs> Bella is a channeler. Now that's a new one. She was able to uh, make herself go further <laughs> and faster And it's why she will live forever. Okay. That's not a spoiler. No, I'm just saying she will infinitely live through all of the turnings of the wheel. (laughs) I'm just stating it now. She also highlights that Rand will go mad if he keeps using the one power. He can't keep touching it without the taint driving him crazy. Now, this is a little bit of a callback to the breaking of the world and the Ogier, specifically that Rand can potentially avoid going mad if he doesn't touch the one power. Right. Not just doesn't use it, but doesn't touch it. A lot of male channelers did resist for quite a while because they had no access to the one power and therefore not the taint. Yep. So if he were to manage to do that, he won't go mad. So she's at this point saying he does need to learn to use it. Because right now he's touching it without even realizing he's touching it. And just being at that point means you'll keep touching it, you will go mad, and you'll have no control. So he has to find some way to figure out how to control it and therefore be able to decide to resist it, to not use it. He needs to use it to know how not to use it. Unfortunately, she says, but myself, all the other Aes Sedai, we can't help you at all. So this is stupid, right? Right? No, I mean, this goes back, way back, to when she was explaining channeling to Egwene, and Rand overheard it. The channeling is so different for women versus men. You know, it's like a bird can't teach a fish but to swim, or a fish teach a bird to fly. Yeah. There are enough... They don't know how there to There are do that. enough similarities of what the power is that she could teach him something. She mm-hmm. Rand overhears some conversation, not how to do things, but rather what things are. A basic description of what the power is so that he can try to piece together what it... She can't teach him how to do things. So I'm going to give a give a spoiler light moment here. There will be later in the series, this will come up again in conversation between men and women talking about it. And when they talk about how to use the power, it makes no sense to each other. But because it, it is so different. And yet, to a non-channeler, that person can listen to both sides... And understand, kind of, they don't, like, have a way to actually do that. But you can understand the wording. You can read it. It's not going to necessarily help, but it would be something. Well, your point of view is noted. (laughs) I just firmly believe that the standpoint of, well, it's not like mine, so not only can I not help you, but I won't even try to help you, is dumb. If you can't help him, 
you could at least try and fail. All right, so remember this perspective because you can bring this back up later on when we're wrapping things up for the, for our opinions of the book. Maybe this okay. is one you want to highlight. Ha. Uh, one last thing comes out here. Only the most powerful Aes Sedai in the Age of Legends could have used up all the Sidene that Rand just used without being destroyed. It was a lot of power. And it's indicative of how powerful he must be. On the bright side, Rand is not mad. As previously stated, the bit of Sidene he used, untainted. Correct. Now Rand assumes Moraine will want to gentle him. Yep. Because since it's everyone knows, everyone standing here is like, you channeled, that's what you do to men so that they don't go insane. But no, she's nice and peaceful here. She says, no. Uh, you're Taverin, and the pattern may not be done with you yet. And that actually sets Rand off. He's <laughs> like, wait a second. I said I always want a gentleman. Now you don't want to gentle me? You want to use me. Not very subtle, Moraine. You want to use me. Nah, he, he's not exactly wrong here. He demands, I won't be your false dragon. I won't be the puppet of all the eyes to die. And of course, as you said earlier, he believes this because of what Baal Zaman told him. Mm -hmm. And he has shared the dreams with Moraine, so she knows what's going on in his brain, and she throws that out there. It's like, if you refuse to be used by the Aes Sedai because of what Baal Zaman claimed that Aes Sedai had been using false dragons, then you're letting Baal Zaman use you. Nah, it's fine. Moraine won't make him into a false dragon. It's fine. It's also, she points out, a tool being used does not mean there's something wrong necessarily. She calls him a tool. <laughs> but, hey, Brand, you're a tool. But a tool used the right way is a powerful thing. So come on. It's not so bad. It's pretty bad. But not badass. Nah. To throw back to last I episode. I mean, maybe it's ba- badass for Moraine if she's <laughs> successful. All right. Rand is not happy. This conversation's cycling up. And before it can get even more heated, the others come back out of the arch that had led into where the eye of the world was. Mm -hmm. And they see Rand and they come back over. They're so glad to see him. They wonder what took him so long to return because apparently he'd been gone for a while. And he says a really lame excuse. I tumbled down a hill. I hit my head. I knocked myself cold. And then when I finally woke up, I kind of loopy, but wandered my way back here. To be fair to Rand, he's doing a really good Aes Sedai job here. He doesn't really say anything false. He simply leaves out a lot and ends up spinning an entirely different tale as the others assume what he's saying. And why did he leave things out? Because he doesn't want everyone to know he's a channeler. He doesn't want them to be afraid of him or see him differently. Correct. And Moiraine has chosen to be complicit in this. She said, I'm not going to tell people that you don't tell. This is your secret to share as you wish. Lan knows, Mm -hmm. but the others don't. So Perrin, Matt, Loyal, nada. Which there is really a nice, good thing that Moraine does respecting his privacy there, even though it is a whole case of you're going to go mad and kill people and die. And of course, Rand is suspicious of her motives. So why aren't you telling them? Hmm? You know... (laughs) You're Taviran. Sure you want something, yes. You're Taviran. That's that's all I can say. Rand also says to them he believes Agenor is dead because he found ashes and bits of his cloak all burned up. So there's that. <laughs> we should be okay now. Woo! Loyal, Matt, and Perrin. They've brought something out of the Eye of the World chamber with them. You see, the Eye of the World, it's empty now. 
the, all that power was what Rand pulled out and used. Now the the boys and loyal they, no they don't idea. know why they just know it's con. You know, <laughs> something I like, happened. I like to imagine anyone who was in that room would have seen like the well itself burst into light as it's being used, and then when they finally could see their vision clears, it's empty. Down at the bottom, there was something that had clearly been placed there, unreachable because of the sidine in the way. So it was there to be protected, safeguarded, and they have carried it out now. One of these things is a broken piece of pottery that Moraine takes the pieces, puts it back together. You can see it was a circle, the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai again. Oh, dope. Yeah, now I put that symbol on our Instagram mm-hmm. with the yin and yang symbol too. So to show these are not the they same, are okay? Here's the difference. Different. Yeah. Similar, Similar, inspired, but different. But different. So, hmm. She says, this is Quendalar. This. I'm actually okay with that pronunciation. I, I just. Eh. I know these different pronunciations. I'm okay with that, though. And I know it's pronounced. It, I think the back of the book says how to say it, but I can never keep it in my head straight. I'll find out. But this is also known as Heartstone. It's a type of pottery created by, or material, created by the One Power back in the Age of Legends. They don't know how to oh, use it anymore. It's an Eya, the uh, double L. So it's a uh, Quendiar. Quendiar. That's it. That sounds right. Thank you. Quendiar. So the LL makes more of a Y sound. Got it. Yeah, that does sound better. Thank you. Quendiar cannot be broken. It's unbreakable. That's exactly what it is. And yet here's this seal broken in pieces. And that's where she drops the word. This is a seal. This is one of the seals on the Dark One's prison. Do I get to say it again? Well, shit. (laughs) (laughs) eric listening in on on our discord is probably like yay he already mentioned once it's not it's not one of our shows if zach doesn't drop that he literally just typed yay it's a fair moment you hear that one of the dark ones prison locks is broken that's That's a big problem so that certainly matches with the seals are weakening here's one broken the second item large gold and silver chest Ooh. which moraine opens now i want to be clear here about this she doesn't just lift it open it doesn't look like a chest it looks like a big box that has like no chest like dimensions no clear hinges it is a ornate box almost like it's made one of those have you ever seen those puzzle boxes that are custom made they're like a couple hundred dollars and the whole goal is to dismantle it and figure out what's inside and stuff Mm-hmm. I'm somewhat familiar with what you're talking about. It's more like one of those. It doesn't immediately scream, this is a chest that opens with a key. And there is no key, but she knows the way to push certain things to pop she it open. She knows how to open a puzzle box. Mm-hmm. And inside, a curled golden horn. And it has certain script in the old tongue written on it. And Loyal recognizes the script and realizes what it is and says it. It's the Horn of Valir. Cool. What do we know? Because they're all like, they all know the Horn of Valir. What's the big deal? What do we know based on what we've read so far in the Eye of the World about this thing? At this point, the Horn of Valir has been mentioned a couple times, most notably by Tom Mm -hmm. and people talking about him, that he tells these stories called the Hunt for the Horn. Yes. And that the Hunt for the Horn is potentially going to be called at some point out of Ilion. 
and it will send a whole bunch of hunters out into the world to try and find this lost horn that is something of great power calling ancient heroes or something and needs to be found before the last battle and so it's found it to be D terms it's an artifact that is very important and necessary and a quest item they have acquired it they have ching mark it off in the quest notes it's now in their inventory yep the final item, long white cloth, and they stretch this out and it reveals a long sinuous creature like a serpent with scales and many legs. And it's the banner of Luz Theron Telamon. When he led the forces of light in the War of the Shadow, it was known as the Dragon Banner. And Moraine, you know, announces that. This is something I find humorous, though. Marie yeah. knows this is the dragon banner. This yeah. is Luz Theron's dragon banner. Uh-huh. And they know Luz Theron was called the, the dragon, dragon, thus it's the dragon banner. But they don't recognize the figure on the banner as a dragon. No, in fact... Which it clearly is. But as far as we can tell, dragons, as we understand them, don't exist. They are never mentioned. Not they even in legends used. or fairy tales. Nothing. There's no bones found anywhere. There's nothing. So that cracks me up. Well done, Robert Jordan. <laughs> but clearly, there is a depiction of what looks more like a dragon. It's not like he just used the name dragon and didn't use the image. And what it tells me is the term dragon did not make the jump from the Age of Legends to the Third Age, where they are. That is knowledge that was forgotten. But more likely, like us here, as we bring dragons in as a creature of fantasy and terror, we might put a dragon on a banner. It's not confirmed that a dragon is a real force, even in the Age of Legends, but rather they had the concept oh, of yeah, what it I was. Oh yeah, I wasn't saying they had dragons back then. They no, just they just knew... had the concept. Right, right. It was a story that they told and something fearsome that they could have representing their leading warrior. Yep. But they have no connection like that now. But hey, Dragon Banner, yay. They have this now too. Moraine says they're going to take these things with them. They were put in the eye of the world clearly for some reason. She got no clue why. They've been there obviously for like 3,000 years, you know. But yeah, she means to find out why. What was the purpose? But right now, they need to take a long rest. Yeah, they're uh, sleep kind of for like beat eight up, hours, you know? get back all their spell slots. Oh, wait, that's a different mechanic system. Yeah. Now, the Green Man, he's dead. Aww. And the place, it's already showing some that it, it's suffering a little bit. It's deteriorating. They've got to figure out, you know, hmm, how long can we really stick around here? Not sure. But Moraine says, we can stay for now. It should make it at least overnight. It's already starting to show some signs, but the green man's influence will last a little longer. Just so, long enough for them to be okay. So let's get some sleep. We're going to need the rest. Now, as one final big thing in this chapter, Rand goes to Moraine and tries to confirm, it's all over, right? We did what we needed to do. We got to the eye of the world. We finished this. I killed the Dark One, all that stuff. We're good. I can, I can go home. I can, I can live my life. It's great. Well, he's told he's free to live his life as the pattern weaves. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty good answer, I thought. No, that's garbage. <laughs> We hear over and over and over again, the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Rand doesn't get a choice at all. That's what she's saying. It's like, hey, Rand. That's why I say that's a pretty good answer. The pattern will tell you what to do. You don't get to choose. She knows. Ever. You have a special role, Randell Thor. So yeah, go ahead and live your life as you see fit. Free will? Maybe. But only as within the options you're intentionally given by the pattern. That's right. 
All right, our final chapter, 53, is The Wheel Turns. Morning comes and the company prepares to head off. Let's go. The green man's garden, deteriorating really quickly now. I mean, not like rushing at them, going to swallow them whole, but they can see the movement. Yeah, uh, there's, you know, leaves piled on the ground everywhere. Most of the trees have lost their leaves. The flowers are wilted. It's not looking so good. It no longer really resembles a paradise within the blight, but rather a piece of the blight that is still clinging on a little bit more. In fact, the only spot that seems to be not too bad yet is that massive oak that's marking the grave of the green man. Now, it's lost about half its leaves, too, but it still still, looks It's still okay. Yeah. (sighs) Rand doesn't understand what's going on here. He honestly is thinking, how can the blight be coming in if I defeated the Dark One? Well, Rand... Shouldn't that be over? We've got two problems here. One... You're too dumb to know whether or not the Blight is actually connected to the Dark One. You've been told that is kind of the case, but you don't understand it. Two, you don't know that you actually killed the Dark One. I'm thinking, read the signs, Ran. Read the signs. And people see signs where they want to see them. Ah, and he doesn't want to see any. He wants to believe that the Dark One is defeated. Loyal is particularly troubled to see how this place is deteriorating. And he says, It is not right that Tree Brothers should fall to the blight. Not right. And he walks up to the oak, stretches out his arms as he lifts his face to the sky, and he sings. Mm -hmm. A beautiful bass tone just cuts clear through it. Little Barry White. Butter absolutely just ripples all the leaves in the water with the <laughs> good vibrations. This is not your typical song, and there's no words. It's just noise, but it's it's pure. It's it's natural. It's it's something special. And what is it? It's tree singing. Yes, it is. And it is a talent with oh, a yeah capital T. Loyal had mentioned he is a tree singer, one of the few Ogier who still have this talent. And now we get to see it in action. He sings his heart out for a few minutes. When he's done, he's like dripping sweat from the effort. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference. He the- steps away in that oak. It's perked back up. Yeah, it looks nice and healthy-ish. At least healthier. All there the are... leaves that are there, they don't look like they're falling off anymore. No, but even more so around the oak, there's flowers and various other growths around its base. And there's a bit of a radius that maintains its health. They all look perfectly healthy now. And Loyal says, the blight will not have him anymore. Not this space. Now, Tree Brother will be safe. Loyal does remark that he's never done something quite that spectacular before. Especially no, I don't have this one Not far. against the blight. And he, he credits to say, being in this site, this special place, there's still Tree Brother here. He, he's still influencing and allowing. And that's what made it possible. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of a nice reminder that it's more of that representation of a cycle or a wheel, if you will, with life. The idea that the tree brother gone, but then the tree out of it, and he's still there as mm-hmm. part of the tree now, and it's everything recycles. Life, right? So yeah. reduce, reuse, recycle. <laughs> Remember, friends, go green. All right, with that, they ride out of the garden, back into the blight. Yay! More rain, still weak, needing to recover. She's not even riding. So they got a litter set up, kind of connected, hanging, swaying between Bella and Aldi, Moraine's horse. 
And then Nynaeve is riding alongside with the reins of Mm -hmm. Eldeeb. I imagine Bella's actually pretty good at this. She was a pack horse and cart horse. Oh, yeah. She's she used to carry things. Extra weight this like is this. just no problem. And she's like, ah, that's a little bit like home. <laughs> and, you know, if she is the creator, psh, it's nothing. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so off they go. It looks nasty still. But it is different. Yeah, it still smells, but it's quiet. The blight is calm. Their I mean, last they saw there, it, it was trying to kill them. Yeah, everything was collapsing in on them. There were worms, apparently. It was... Even the trees were reaching out. It, it was not good. And now everything's Silent. twisted and creepy, but it's creepy like a Disney movie where it's just creepy looking shapes and ominous lighting, but it's not actually killing them. Yeah. That alone is kind of creepy. They're like, um, what's going on? they travel through this for the rest of the day and finally set up camp for the night because, again, there's too much blight to get through in just one day. And while they're settled down, they're they're talking about this. What is going on? Mm -hmm. Moraine says, this is a sign. We have struck a mighty blow at the Dark One. The shadow will be a long time recovering. I'm not sure that's entirely truthful of her. Well, remember, they said earlier why it attacked them and all. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have because, you know, she was touching the one power, but the blight stirs. And yet... Because the dark one stirs. Using that same reasoning, I think we have a possible stronger reason why things would stay away from them right now. Because, as she said, being a channeler, having the power there, it shouldn't have reached out, shouldn't have been as willing. Except it was because she was touching the true source. And I know where you're going. I know. And he's not. (laughs) <laughs> but he also doesn't have control. He needs to learn how to do that. He's not. Just saying. He's it, not. It could be. It could be just residual <laughs> energies from the eye of the world. They're just like floating around. It's like he's got an enhanced aura right now. It's just radiating goodness. Yeah. It's aura. a little fluffy. I'll give you your aura. It's Jeez. like he's hanging on to some nice anti-bad energies crystals in his pockets. And they're just really absorbing all that negative energy. Now we're talking crystals. Why oh, not? We are going really deep here now. Why not? Wow. What is that I smell? Coffee. (sighs) Next morning, they exit the blight. They finally get out. And now they see, whoa, something has really changed. Because spring is here. Busting out all over. Roaring in like a lion. New growth everywhere. And Moraine just looks around saying, a mighty blow. She repeats her phrase from before. It's like, see? Uh Uh-huh. Huh? They've pushed winter back finally. Winter's not coming. Jon Snow knew something. (gasps) (laughs) Oh no, something's wrong. They eventually reach the border watchtowers with their shiny Shinarans still there. They are happy now. They're celebrating. They come running out with smiles and practically giggling because they've gotten news from Tarwin's Gap. Oh yes, the wonderful place where a bunch of these Shinarans... Shinarans? Shinarans. Shinarans. I still say it weird. It's okay, I'll get there, maybe. If you can get Tarvalin... I can get Shinarans. All right. But they rode off to their deaths to slow down a huge horde of Trollocs. But a... I like that. Sorry. (laughs) The audiobooks are not God. (laughs) No, but it it helps. It makes me feel less Our Discord is telling us Shinarans, (laughs) which is kind of between the way we've been saying it. Shinarans, Shinarans, Shinarans. I don't care. (laughs) Anyways, the Shinarans come back, 
and haven't been completely decimated. In fact, they come back approaching the city of Faldara and they're starting to hear a big ass party. Mm-hmm. All the bells are ringing. People are dancing in the streets. It turns out that there's a miracle mm-hmm. that took place. The miracle at Tarwin's Gap. That's what they're all talking about. It's almost now. like 32nd Street, 33rd Street. Oh, don't. 42nd Street. It's 42nd Street. Wow. Guys, I don't know if I've ever seen that. It's bringing a Christmas story reference in here, though. Isn't really? that where most miracles come from? Christmas? Uh... It's the miracle of Christmas. Wait, no, that's the miracle on 34th Street. It is 30 something. Yeah, 42nd Street is a musical. That's a different thing. Elm Street is the nightmare. That's a nightmare for sure. <laughs> yes, that's what Tarwin's Gap was going to be. <laughs> uh, it turns out it was actually a corner. They started on Elm Street and turned on to 34th. Okay. Everyone is happy, partying. They move into the town. They head to the keep. And there they finally see somebody not smiling. Ingtar. If you remember, Ingtar was the one who had oh, led the escort... A Grinch, yes. Had the, <laughs> led the escort that took them up to the border and then rushed away to try to catch up with the rest of the army. He was so upset that he wasn't going to be able to help them in the blight and was going to miss the battle at Tarwin's Gap. And yeah, he missed the battle at Tarwin's Gap. He missed the miracle. He was too late. And so he's like pouting practically. But then he's like, oh, forgive me. I'm, I'm forgetting my duties. Uh, welcome. Welcome back to Faldara. Uh, let me get you some rooms. Oh, Moraine, you're... She's still on a stretcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're wounded. We'll get the healer. And she's like, no, no. We need to go straight to Lord Agomar. So let's do it. All right. He's not real happy about that, but he escorts them into Lord Agomar's study. And when he they walk in there, and Moraine's being carried on this litter by servants, he's appalled. He's like, why hasn't a healer... Ingtar, you idiot! What have you... You know, basically his reaction, Maureen's like, nope, nope, and this is what I said. I can just feel Ingtar's frown getting bigger as he's scowling and going, I just keep doing my job and I keep losing my honor. I keep wanting to fight here, wanting to fight there, wanting to get a healer and being told no. It's the dog who tries so hard to be a good boy and just keeps ripping the furniture anyway. <laughs> She also says, I'm not really as bad as everybody seems to be acting, okay? Girls, help me into a chair. So Nynaeve, Egwene, help her into a chair. Now, this, the base statement of needing help to get into a chair <laughs> probably shows, no, no, they're right, you're just stubborn. Yeah. A conversation ensues now where Agomar shares about this battle at Tarwin's Gap. But he says, you know, you really can hardly call it a battle. We had practically barely at all fought the Trollocs and the Shadow Spawn when there was this massive upheaval. The Earth swallowed the Trollocs and the Halfmen. All that was left were a few Drakkar who flew off to the north in retreat. We didn't really do anything. And he's particularly disturbed because while all the troops are calling it a miracle, even saying the Creator himself walked in the gap and struck down the Shadow Spawn, Agomar is saying, I saw a man. I was not the creator. I saw a man, and what he did, that cannot be. What is he meaning, Zach? Well, the world has enough of a memory, and more importantly, the Borderlanders definitely have a good memory when it comes to time and the shadow. And he very clearly understands there was a man controlling a ridiculous amount of power he was channeling. A man was channeling 
that is a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Aes Sedai are supposed to stop that. <laughs> good one, Eric. <laughs> oh, oh, man. That's good. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> We've just discovered Zach is channeling. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but... We've been having a kind of an ongoing debate here with Eric on the Discord about the pronunciation of Shinarins and how Zach seems to continually be the one who's right if you're looking at how they pronounce things in the audiobooks, even though he hasn't listened to the audiobooks. I've listened to the audiobooks, but I've, I've listened to some, but, but not, I've read this stuff this for one. so long, I am stubbornly set in my ways on how I say things. It's it's how my head does it. And Zach just keeps saying the way that Michael Kramer pronounces things in, in the audiobook, and so we've decided he's channeling Michael Kramer. Yeah, I don't need to channel the one power. I mean, Zach Michael is Kramer is basically channeling the male half of the one power. So Zach is going to go insane. <laughs> Additional details are noted here in this conversation in yes. Agamar's study. let's list them off. Pat and Fane, still secure, down in the cells. Moiraine will need to speak with him some more. That's good. I mean, it's a thing, but it's good. So Moraine's turn, Green Man's dead, Eye of the World's gone, but hey, we still won. Yay. The winter is going away. It's a good sign. But, I mean, the blight's still there. There are still half-men and Trollocs around. So Borderlanders still have to maintain their vigilance. Agomar is like, oh, of course, of course. I mean, suggesting that they wouldn't is kind of a slap in the face. And then Moraine reveals they have returned with the Horn of Valir. Ooh, goody. Agomar is like, yes! Gimme! Give me, give me, give we me, will give take me, this. Me. We will ride straight to Sheogul. We will have all the heroes of the ages come and we will defeat the enemy for good. And she's like, down boy. No. Bad dog. Aw. She's very clear. That is not what this is for. This needs to be taken to Ilian because that is where it will need to be used. Mm-hmm. It's when, going to be yep. called forth and it can be presented where the hunt was called. Yep. Now, she clearly has a reason it needs to go there. Oh, yeah. She's and adamant you're about because it. that's where the hunt I mean, that's what we know. For, but that might not be her reason. Have, she seems to have other knowledge that's making her very clear this must go there. It will be needed there. Or other plans. There's something she's not divulging entirely. I think so. That seems to be a pattern with Aes Sedai so far. With more rain yeah yeah with that we jump ahead seven days we see rand and lan together up on a balcony with rand practicing sword forms with his heron mark blade and he is working it hard lan compliments his efforts but encourages him not to push quite so hard you know he can't expect to become a blade master in just a few weeks rand says i don't have a few weeks i don't even care about being a blade master i just i need to get good now period he doesn't have a few weeks because he plans to leave Yeah, which, I mean, it's potentially a fair point. He's worried about going mad. He's worried about hurting the people around him. Egwene, whom he thinks he loves, or at least knows that he was planning to spend his life with her. And now he's wondering, could that even be possible if I'm... I'm in such a danger to everyone around me? Lan leaves him there, and as Lan leaves, Egwene comes up. She comments that, so you're leaving? Moraine is not going to want you going off. And Rand explains, Moraine hasn't even been giving me the time of day. She's acting like I don't even exist anymore. I don't think she'll care what I do. That's interesting. He says she's avoiding him, and so I'm free to do whatever I want. Even Lan agreed. I'm free. I can leave. If she's not even watching, what's she going to care if I leave? Egwene's like, well, okay, so you can do whatever you want. Why don't you come with us? Why don't you want to stay with me? You know, 
we're going to Tarvalon. Nynaeve, mm. Egwene, we're, mm. they're going to train mm. to become Aes Sedai. Matt still has to go there for getting healed because of the dagger issue. Yep. And Perrin, he wants to see it. I mean, kind of got to pass through it anyways we on heard the way it's back. Pretty. Might as well stop. So why don't you come with us? Rand, he's just irritated. He's like, are you out of your mind? Me, a person who can channel, a man who can channel, go to a place surrounded by Aes Sedai. I cannot go there. Gwen responds, but, you know, Moraine already explained to you, you don't have to touch Sidene. You don't have to keep doing that, so you don't have to go and sit, and you can be safe. <laughs> this is great. He assures her, oh, yeah, I'm never touching it again. You can trust me on that. Not even if I have to cut off my own hand. I'm not touching that. Wink, wink. <laughs> That's great. Those of you who have read this series before know that this brief interchange is priceless, but for the sake of our first-time readers... We can't tell you why. Let's just say Rand has no idea what he's saying here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. that's fair. I'll just leave it there. There was significance in that statement. But as it is, Rand is sure he cannot go to Tarvalon, but he also can't go home. He can touch Sidene. And therefore... No one around him will ever be safe. He just needs to go away. Find some place where he can be alone and therefore not a danger to anyone. He doesn't know where that will be. He just says... Not ever home. And that one we will give you, people, that is a clear foreshadowing alert. Not ever home. We end up this chapter switching perspectives to Moraine. She's down below in Agamar's private garden, and apparently she's, she's using... She's eavesdropping. Yeah, she's using the one power, and she's listening to Rand and Egwene. Who are up above on that balcony, right above Moraine. They don't see her, but... And not at all like an evil villain. She smiles and says something kind of ominous and completely vague. The prophecies will be fulfilled. The dragon is reborn. And we close. Now, that tells us two key things, by the way. The prophecies will be fulfilled. What prophecies? Well, there are prophecies. There are things that Moraine knows about that she's been drawing from in what she's done, what she's been saying, and perhaps what she is still saying. Like, maybe that's why the Horn of Valir has to go to Ilion. The prophecies. There's stuff she knows. Mm -hmm. And the actions Rand is taking now, that's also saying to her, the prophecies. This all lines up. And she's clearly identifying him, the dragon. Yeah. Is reborn. In the last chapter, Rand said he will not let them make him a false dragon. And Moraine, kind of tongue in cheek, kind of goes, Well, how about the real one? <laughs> All right. That's the end of the book. Man, what a ride. Yeah, it was a good first book. I thought it was pretty good. And when I read it the first time, I was like, yeah, I think I want to keep reading. <laughs> I was definitely intrigued. And thankfully, there were a number of books already out in this series. So I went right into the next book, The Great Hunt, mm -hmm. just like we'll now be doing on the podcast. I didn't get until like book seven that there was nothing else. And then I had to start waiting for books to come out. But I got to tell you. That first time reading this book, and I think you probably agree with me on here. Maybe. I had no idea just how much Robert Jordan had loaded into this book that sets things in motion, that's going to come back again, that's foreshadowing. Every time now when I go back and read this book, the mind is a little blown by how loaded this book is. Because I had to make multiple attempts as I was aging to get through the series, first in like third, fourth grade, and I started this book but didn't finish it, 
first finished this one like as I was going to high school right there in freshman year-ish and then again starting and getting through with my final push as I was in college there. Nah, none of the times did I see, especially because there are some things that are not fulfilled until way later. Mm -hmm. And even as you start to see some planted things, or I start to guess, well, maybe this will come back later, it's really masterfully put in there. Eric in the Discord makes a good point here, where he asks, do you think he just planted some things thinking, I don't know where this is going to go, I'll make something up later? Yes and no. Or did he really have it all planned out? Both. I think there are certain things he put in there fully intending that's where it was going to end up. And sometimes those things might be ones that are a little funkier to get there because it didn't quite fit the story anymore and it had to change a little bit. But I as a DM, especially when I've done homebrewed campaigns, know I absolutely throw in little hooks here and there. And later on as I'm thinking and going, okay, where are my characters now? What can I draw from? I look back and realize hey, I threw this random thing here. What if that actually is a lot more important than my players or I knew it was at the time? And suddenly someone losing an arm becomes a massive plot point for their character. Mm -hmm. But they didn't know it that long ago. Yeah, I absolutely would agree that some of what Robert Jordan threw in here was just stuff that this might be useful later. And he didn't have a plan, but then found a way to, oh, this will be good. They'll love this. And he worked Mm -hmm. it in later. And I hold to that as evidence that there are a few things that happen in this book that seem like it ought to play into something later and you never hear about it again. And most of those, I'd say, are able to be kind of written off or ignored as just, well, they just never came back up again. They could have, but they didn't. But a couple of them here and there seem to be incongruencies. One of the best ones that I'll mention that I think could very easily be uh, something he just threw in here and then later on went, oh, I could do this would be cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell exactly what the payoff is. But when Rand and Matt were traveling the Camelin Road and that one time that Rand is sick and they're in a barn and that noble woman comes in and tries to kill Matt and probably was going to do something with Rand. Uh, and and they overcome her, and then they tie her up and they leave her. The uh, not smoking gun moment, but the smoking dagger moment. The smoking dagger moment. She'll be back. But she was just a, an innocuous dark friend who did something. No, I don't That's really so think that was That's so easy that that could have been just later on Robert Jordan's writing and, oh, hey, I had a character back in the first book. I, I could bring her back. And I totally mind, could see that. There are so many named characters. Oh, in there's over 2,000 like named 2, characters. 2,580 some or something like that, I want to say. Something like that. And that number of Of course, that lady didn't count yet. She wasn't named in that book. In no. In this book. But... That number of characters leads to a really deep well that you can draw from. And, oh, I have this idea of a character that's going to be, well, if I just use this name I've already got, or this person I've already got, now instead of having to invest in another new character, we get to get further depth in another one. Yep. Yeah, you do have time to do that with 15 books. Go a little deeper with a lot of characters. Here's a good thing about where we're going with this series. I did a poll on our Twitter account this week asking people which of the first four books of the Wheel of Time is their favorite, just out of those four. That's easy for me. Which one is yours? The fourth. And of the four, I agree. And that was the big winner on the Twitter poll, too. But interestingly, this book was by far last in the running. I disagree with that. 
No, that's how myself. it came on Twitter, though. And I didn't ask people to rank them. Yeah. But the tiniest fraction of people who participated in the poll listed the Wheel of the Eye of the World as their favorite of the first four books. All I'm going with in that is, okay, this is a good book. It's not the favorite for most readers, but this is where it's only getting started. It does get better from here. It just keeps growing and getting better. And so that's what we get to enjoy as we move forward. And the second runner-up, no, the first runner-up. Second place in the poll mm-hmm. was The Great Hunt, our next book. So, See, that's Ooh. weird for me because to me, whether on my first or second read, as I hadn't gotten through more of the series yet, the first, I think, was my favorite of the first three. And it's part of why when I did a first kind of push, I only got through the first three and never got to the fourth. And when it was that I got into the fourth, that was when I was able to push through to the end. Looking back back on it i really value the third a lot better than i used to but the second is still one of the lower end books for me it just doesn't grab me the same okay yeah i feel that way about parts of the third book actually i i did on my first read with the third eventually i've come but i like to really like what it does all right Let's kind of wrap things up by just talking about some general questions and and ideas then as we finish this book. What are some of your lasting thoughts on The Eye of the World as a a whole, Zach? All right. The Eye of the World is a very good first book in a series in that, to me, it has a very clear self-contained story with Mm -hmm. lots of clear hooks to continue the story, but you could one and done. You could read this as a standalone novel, and it wouldn't answer every question, it wouldn't satisfy you as well, but it would be a good book. And I think that's worth something in and of itself. If you really want to get someone to read a 15-book series, you need a strong first book. And while it may not be considered the strongest of all the books, it is strong on its own. Okay. I kind of feel sometimes that he wrote it that way just in case it didn't get as much success as necessary so it would be a good book all by itself and he could just leave it there and we could all wonder hmm wonder what happens afterwards but it wasn't essential to know it was a concluded story in that sense to me especially in thoughts of like from a writing perspective if you're ever starting to try and write fantasy it sends a, a nice message and reminder that you can have great grand ideas but if you can't write a singular book that actually is good it's not going to catch I appreciate about this book how Robert Jordan introduced a world with its own uniqueness in a way where he revealed a lot of things, but gave it a feel of this is just natural. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of well-done world building. Mm -hmm. We never really feel like there's just expositional lore dumps. Every time we get something new and all this new information... It either makes sense in the story or is introducing a new character. Take, for example, Loyal. We learn so much new stuff that even has nothing to do with Loyal, but we take it as something of, oh, this is cool for us to learn new because it's a totally new perspective that we haven't seen before. Yeah, it definitely does that. What would you say is your favorite moment in this book? There's a lot of good moments, so I know that can be hard. Do you have one prepared for your favorite moment? Because if so, you go first while I'm thinking. (laughs) No, I was hoping to be spontaneous here. (laughs) Uh, Here's magic of editing because Zach needs to think. (laughs) And that can take a long time. Hey, shut up. (laughs) I, and I think this kind of goes with what I'm seeing your possible next question will be, but I won't get too much into that. I really, no, I take that back. I take that back. The Shadow Logoth chapters. 
that section is one of the things that I feel like without further, if this had been a novel, would have been throwaway, wouldn't have mattered. It's cool. It's Mm -hmm. a nice little dungeon that gets thrown in there, basically. But it's not that important. And yet it's so unique. Something that both the good and the bad are afraid of. And that has real impacts hurting people, but in a way that people don't really quite understand. The mystery as well as slight horror aspect of the city. And it's weird for me to think that because... I'm not one to really care too much for the horror genre, whether in movies, books, whatever. It's not something I partake in very often because it doesn't grab me very well. Mm -hmm. And yet, for whatever reason, that piece of this adventure has lasting impacts to me and really stands out as something different. Okay. So that's my favorite. I can tell you what is not my favorite. What's that? the whole adventure at the end with Agnor and Balthamel. I'm like, nah. No, that big final conflict kind of thing. A lot of action. A lot of big things happen. But I was like, nah, that's not, it's okay. It also is very much <laughs> a lot happens very quickly while we're still getting a little bit of new people show up. And so we get new information, but then stuff happens and it's almost anticlimactic with a feel of, hey, we're developing characters that will be powerful and have plot armor. So nobody dies except for one that we didn't really care about. He's just a cool tree guy. Mm. Even though apparently these other people who just walked in are way more powerful than the people who we thought were the most powerful in the series so far with Moraine and Lan, and they just get flicked out of the way. I think my favorite part of the book, favorite section, is a bit of a bigger chunk, but the whole bit at Camelin. I like their time in Camelin. Uh, are you including the like meeting the royals? Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. also the you got talking Loyal and, and Matt healing. All that stuff that happens during the Camelin chapters from the time that Matt and Rand arrive to when they leave through the ways. Why? Because uh, there's a lot that's learned there. Of course, we get the addition of Loyal, but we also, I mean, it's comical that thing that happens when he falls into the garden there. And then he meets Elaine, he meets Gawain, he meets Galad, he meets Morgase and Elida and. There's so much that, you know, it's just this one part and then those characters are gone, the rest of the story. But that was a lot that happened there and things that it triggered for him and his mind. Oh, and Pat and Fane's part of that, too. I mm-hmm. mean, all of that, just really significant part of the book. Fair enough. Which of the three boys, mm-hmm. Art, Viren, Matt, do Perrin, you find the most Rand. interesting so far and why? So not thinking about the rest of the yeah, series. No, just this book. Just this, just this book. book. And so this is where it's going to pain me to say this a little bit. Because <laughs> um, Matt's my boy. He will always be my boy. He's not my favorite in this book. I think he's interesting. He's not my favorite. He's not the most interesting here with the knowledge we have. Rand, we have the most knowledge. We get his perspective the most. He's a little whiny in my opinion. Perrin is my favorite and I think is the most interesting and it's simply because while we learn bits and pieces it's we I feel like we learn both the most and the least about the wolf brother talent in this book even compared to channeling and yet it just it's something both incredibly relatable and unique to have a beginning conflict between man and beast inside himself a little bit and see that start there and the confusion and fear that a relatively calm, kind character has. I think it's really cool. And I do personally think that it's the most interesting in this book. I almost wish that we had more time before Perrin and Egwene ended up back with Moraine, Nynaeve, Lan, and then Camelin, just so that we could see that go a little bit further in this book. 
but I'll, I'll take it for what it is. Okay, fair enough. I'm, yeah, Rand is my boy. You're, you're team Rand? <laughs> totally. I dig Rand, and he would definitely be the character I find the most interesting, the most I, engaging. Perrin is a, a close runner-up. I agree. Matt, nah. He's too much of an idiot in this well, this one. He's an interesting character, but that whole dagger stuff. I'm going to defend him hard for a moment here. <laughs> we get a lot of chapters from Rand's perspective. Mm-hmm. We get some from Perrin's perspective. We don't get any from Matt's. Yeah. Hint, that's going to change. <laughs> I just think it's really easy to judge him as the least interesting because we don't get to see what he's thinking while we see what the other two are. Mostly, we don't want to know what he's thinking, because he was, throughout so much of this, uh, a paranoid, nasty little guy. I'd be interested to hear what the thoughts are to be able to resist, as Moraine said, for so long. Now, Perrin. We like Perrin. And he's got some really good character traits and all, but one of the most entertaining parts of Perrin is the Tuatha'an dance scene. (laughs) Just makes me laugh. (laughs) I still think it's, like, Robert Jordan implies that it's worse for him, or, like, more embarrassing for him than what a modern viewer would think. I really think it's more just like belly dancing than stripping. <laughs> Sorry, exotic Those dancing. hips, man. They're really going with those hips. And yeah. <laughs> the first time they dance for him and he actually turns around so he's looking a different direction and they move so they're dancing in his line of sight again. They're <laughs> just having fun. That was great. Most frustrating part of the story to this point. What do you think? Rand and Egwene's relationship. The duality of acting like we are together and going to be together and then acting like, hey, you just have to go to that and I don't respect you. Or, hey, I don't want anything to do with you or you need to shut up and listen to me. And there's some realism to that, but it's also very frustrating to me to see neither one of them even really trying to understand or respect what the other one is thinking or wanting. Okay. They're not communicating. And I mean, if it's a relationship, whatever the relationship is, it's a really bad relationship because there's no (laughs) communication. And along those lines, what I find the most frustrating is Moraine and her secrets. If she would just open up and tell what she actually knows. Well, if we're talking about Moraine and her secrets. So much of this would be better. And yet... At the same time, people keeping secrets from Moraine. The boys waiting so long to tell them about dreams. She told them what she thought they needed to know, which caused them to hold things back from her. So already she was causing problems by not telling them enough. And she even at one point says, I can't give 20 years of knowledge to you all in one conversation. Mm -hmm. Fine. True. But you could tell a little more than you are. And that's fair. And while we're on the kind of subject, we have an understanding Two Rivers Folk are really stubborn, hardy, and have high mental fortitude. It's probably pretty good to guess that they wouldn't be able to handle being told just about anything. They might do it with denial, and there's no telling what they do, but they would handle it. A lot of people, a lot of people in today's society, wouldn't. They would, in one way or another, break, I'd think. I don't give the average person enough credit to be able to really legitimately feel like they have the actual weight of the world on them and be just okay. Yeah, but I I think this is more about Moraine just being too ingrained to keep things to herself. It's a hard habit to break. Yeah. Cue Chicago. It's a hard habit to break. Habit to break. Yeah, okay. Remember, you can only do like one line before we get hit for copyright yep. royalties. Yeah. Anyway, if, if you could change things about the eye of the world, 
what would you change? I'm going to go with the first one here. Okay. You stole it. Moiraine's staff. Get rid of it. It's pointless. And even by the end, we don't even see her using it anymore. There's never a point that she needs to have a staff except to remind us she's a Gandalf figure in this book. So why did she have a staff? She even tells Egwene in frustration at one point that objects aren't part of the one power. No, it'd be- and it doesn't matter. It'd be really cool if we saw, like, in the next book, she p- finds a new staff or a, a stick that she uses, like a wand, or occasionally uses objects to make it seem like she's using the power, like people understand better. But we don't. We, we drop that and we go, we had a nod to Tolkien being like, hey, wizards carry staffs. But they don't, so... Yeah, so I, I would would have left that That's out fair. altogether. I'll give you another one then. And I know this is one that <laughs> people are very divided on in the fandom for Wheel of Time, but Narg. Mm. Way back in the beginning, the Trolloc Narg who talks to Rand in common tongue. And we never see another Trolloc in the whole book. We have all these Trollocs. We never see any of them even try to talk, which makes Narg talking seem a little out of place and dumb. I would have left that out. Didn't need it. Fair. Still thinking? You know, it's... it's. You just think this book is so perfect, you can't come up with much to get rid of. No. To change. I mean, well, I mean... <laughs> Which is okay. It's a good book. The hard thing for me is, while there might be things that I didn't necessarily love, I, one, do respect that is in there. And two, sometimes something that in and of the, itself in the book... I'd be like, I don't love that. I would change that. I wouldn't... Are you thinking butterfly effect here? You can't change yeah, it because it would a, have such a, a ripple bit, impact? Well, not just what the ripple, but sometimes I think it's not worth it because it's whatever. I don't care. But later it does come back as something that does matter or is cool mm-hmm. and has a payoff. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, Moraine staff did not have a payoff. No, but some of the more important things later on seem useless initially. And so... Eh. Well, I'll throw down one statement here. I would change nothing about Loyal. That's fair. Loyal is awesome. Just love that character. I... You gonna mess with Loyal? That, that gave you a thought, it looked like. No. It, it, okay, because I was going to have to disown you and kick you to the curb. <laughs> a different character, Tom. I... Master Marilyn, yes? I would have kept him a little longer. Ah. Because I feel like we don't get enough of a feeling for who he really is until after he's basically gone. He he disappears and Rand thinks he's dead and we didn't get the time to really learn much about him. And we f- find out more and more things after the fact. Mm-hmm. And that's cool and all, but I wanted to learn some of that with him there. Hashtag more Tom. Or at least okay. see more glimpses of it. Okay. I am glad he did not teach either of the boys the harp. <laughs> you don't teach the harp very quickly. No. All right. Now, talking about Tom flows really nice into the last thing I wanted to talk about here. And that was thinking like a first time reader. What are the biggest questions that remain that we want to learn about moving into the series further? And one of them is, is Tom Marilyn dead or not? We, the boys thought he was dead. Moraine has now hinted that, no, I think he's still alive. Okay. Well, where's Tom Marilyn? So I got a friend of mine to read this book, uh, or at least listen to the audiobook. I think I said this in like episode two, three, something like that. And he was texting me every now and then, as you would say, live texting. <laughs> okay. And right at the White Bridge chapters, mm-hmm. he texts me and just 
no, he's not gone. He will be back. I do not believe he's dead. I will not believe this. And I'm just like, you know, that's fair. That's fair. So that is definitely one of the questions we need answered. Where's Tom? He was too important for the bit he was in to now just be gone forever. So what happened to him? Where is he? What's the deal? And to be kind of blunt about it, he's too interesting of a character Mm. not to have some form of plot armor. We liked him. Other questions. What's going to happen to Rand? Yeah, is he going to go mad? I mean, he's he a does, male channeler. How this quickly? is a big issue now. Will he get gentled at some point? Maureen seemed to say she wasn't going to do that, but maybe it'll happen anyways. Will he start channeling Michael Kramer? I mean, maybe he'll start pronouncing things, quote-unquote, correctly. I don't know. He'll start channeling Terry Brooks. Shannarins. Oh... <laughs> 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 Also, let's talk about Baalzaman. Mm-hmm. I said during this episode, we didn't actually see him die. No, we saw... Rand thinks he's dead. And... Is he dead? Or will he be back? What's going to happen to Parent as mean, a wolf brother? You said there wasn't enough Yeah, about that there's here. a lot of question of even still what that means. We're learning it bit by bit. And even when we thought it was gone, the green man brings it back and just straight up, hey, wolf brother kind of thing. And it's What's just, up, dog? Oh, you, I think you did this last <laughs> yeah, time. I did. And I made a point of saying you cannot come so hard at the wolf dog difference if you're going to call Perrin a dog. Who let the wolves out? Ho, ho, ho. Is that better? No. No, it is not. <laughs> All right. Another question. How is Matt and the dagger issue going to resolve? It's still just hanging there. If all goes as planned, he gets over to Tarvalm, they fix him up, he goes home, things are great, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. We'll see. What about Pat and Fane? What's going to really happen there? We know there's more going to happen. Oh, Moraine yeah. has to go talk to him. I will tell you on a first time read, at the very least, that's a question that was there, but I was like, eh, eh. I will totally acknowledge Pat and Fane was not, and, and this is where we are trying to help you people as you are first time readers. Pat and Fane was not on my radar to the degree he needed to be. No, I mean, he... He is more important than you may realize. So just be aware. With me, as I was reading, where I I did notice him more, but not in the first book. He just always... He was like a cockroach in this first book. (laughs) He always seems to be there. He never goes away. He doesn't die, but he's not too terribly interesting. He's just annoying. Yeah. There's going to be more Pat and Fane, and we want to find out what. There you go. How about Egwene and Nynaeve? Are they going to end up being Aes Sedai or not? That's the plan. Is the plan going to work out? Is, you know, what's their future to be? We all know fantasy is just always going to end with happy endings. So mm. it's going to be, it's going to be great. Now, speaking about Aes Sedai, mm-hmm. Balzaman claimed some of them are working for him. Yeah. And we even got a little bit of a name for it from Elias, that they were black. The, yeah. How's that going to play out? We have questions there. The Aes Sedai are the power of this world, and some of them work for the Dark One? What? Really? Are we sure? What? Hmm. Maybe the White Cloaks are more right than they seem. Mm. Uh, The other question that came to me is I was just thinking, what else? What else? Is, okay, we've had this big reveal of, we've got the Horn of Valir. Mm -hmm. Obviously, something is being built up with that. Oh, yeah. That's getting dropped in there. And it's like, hey, this was loosely mentioned and suddenly thrust in your hand. So now you have to deal with it. Yeah. If you have already seen the cover of the next book, or the, the horn name. is on the cover. <laughs> or if you literally have read the name of the book. The Great Hunt. A.K.A. The Hunt, hunt for, the for the Horn. horn. You know, there's obviously more to come with this horn. It's going to play a role. We need to learn. We need to find out. Now, there is one more question that you kind of go for here that I think of that yeah. you didn't write down. It's along the same lines of what's going to happen to Perrin, 
but rather than as a wolf brother, as pertains to the White Cloaks. Last we saw the White Cloaks, really, they were looking for Perrin because he had escaped after killing some of them. Mm-hmm. So are they just going to fade quietly into the night, or is or something going to come back? Mm-hmm. Oh, and another thing, of course, Nynaeve, Lan, love. and their unrequited love. Yeah, well, how, well how, not where's unrequited. Where's that going to go? Doomed, <laughs> uh, or is that cursed. done? Is that over? But it was is that clearly, gonna come back? It was clearly Will not it be a soap opera. It was clearly not unrequited. Telenovela. <laughs> Alright then. This is a good spot to wrap up. Yeah. Next regular episode, book. we will jump right into book two, The Great Hunt, uh, in a big way, because we're gonna tackle the prologue and the first five chapters. Oh. <sighs> but before that, watch for the drop of a midweek episode where I get to make my case for why the Dune series is the greatest sci-fi fantasy epic of all time. It's not. And Zach will try to poke holes in every one of my arguments. Because I can. We look forward to the entertaining diversion, jumping into a little science fiction fantasy for a change. Like all midweek specials, that will actually hit on a Wednesday if you are following along current. And if you're binging years to come, it's just the next one in your feed. Thanks again to those of you who stopped in for the live recording and chit-chatted with us along the way. We appreciate your support and your participation. Oh yeah, I definitely love being able to laugh at things that make fun of my dad that I didn't have to say. Yeah, you guys can't all see it, but Eric definitely sided more with Zach in this. And, and we did have another flyby in here, too. So we had a couple people interact with us today in the live recording. And we know we will do um, future live recordings open to all as well. But in the meantime, all of our live recordings are open to patrons. So if you'd like to participate in this any and every time we're doing a recording, check out our Patreon page and see if you'd like to support us there. We do this for the fun of it, but if you throw a little money towards us, we throw some extra benefits your way, too. And we're glad to do so. We appreciate the support as we work to make the best podcast we can. So beyond our Patreon or hearing from you on Discord, if you have anything you would like to share with us or talk to us about, hit us up through fantasyfortheages at gmail.com or any of our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We love hearing from you in any way that you choose. Absolutely. And you can really help us out by telling other people about this podcast. If you know others who enjoy fantasy fiction and might like to listen to what we're saying as well, please spread the word. And, and if, subscribe to our podcast, rate and review exactly. it. So others Even if you don't know anyone see. to talk to, you can always talk to the internet. That's right. The internet listens and what you write, everyone believes. Because everything on the internet is true. Yeah, Abe Lincoln said it. I believe that's correct. Anyway. That's all I got then. You got anything else, Zach? Not from me. I say that every time and you always say not for me. Or something along those lines. Or something. One day I'll have something. One day he will It'll and I will really fall off funny. my chair. Oh, I have something. Ah, funk. No, not, not to. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next time.